0: This is Vixen John, creator of Minute Made New York, and you're listening to Minutes Heard. If you're listening to this, thank you so much for supporting the series thus far and tuning in to the first episode of Minutes Heard. The reason why I wanted to start this podcast is because I realized that through these minute-long videos I've been producing since 2015 that I've only been getting one minute of content for people to listen to. So I decided that I should turn all this unused audio and make it into a podcast for people to understand a little bit more about the people who I profile. For those who are new to the series, Minute Man New York is a project where I highlight individuals about their motivations and their stories into minute long videos. The reason why these particular stories are shorter than most stories is because at the time, the structure of the series was a little different which meant that I was only asking specific questions to these individuals just to get specific answers. But now the series has evolved to so much more. So without further ado, I present to you the first few minutes of Minute Maid New York.
1: I'm a makeup artist and I absolutely love my job. Why? Because it allows me the opportunity to dream in color, so to speak. I mean, you know, all my life I felt A passion inside of me to really do something in my life and make a difference and makeup artistry really allows me to do that um i connect with people when they're in my space i feel their energy i listen to them and it becomes more than just about the makeup it becomes the best personal connections that i've even ever made in my life um i i see the human face as my canvas And I don't just make it about what I see. I make it about the person that's sitting in my chair, like trying to work with them to figure out what look works best for them and how to enhance their natural beauty. Because I just truly believe that beauty, you already have it. It already starts with you. But we all, we all, you know just as human beings wanna be liked or wanna be taken seriously, we wanna be loved. And, you know, you wanna have a face of confidence to kind of project who you really are, to invite that warm, positive energy into your life. And makeup artistry allows me to do that for people. And that's what makes it like the best thing that I that I strive to do, you know, um, it really inspires me to be able to connect with people because I hear their stories and they help me even though they think that I'm the one that's helping them (laughs) and my daughters are my greatest inspiration and my family, um, without the help of my husband, I probably wouldn't be doing this every day as, 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 a as as for a living, you know, so I'm really just grateful. I'm happy. And I'm looking forward to the
2: future. So, I've been a commercial photographer for a very long time since 1988, <clears throat> and I used to do stock photography. So it was, I was, I grew up in sort of the stock photography business, and that became my commercial photography as sort of choice, and it was a lot of fun. Um, and over the years, you know, now that digital cameras have come into play, um, basically my commercial business has now been sort of spread out, because I'm competing with everybody now with a digital camera, because it's so easy now to create stock photography. So my commercial business went from doing really well to not doing so well. So using that opportunity to decide, well, you know, I'm not gonna make money as a commercial photographer, I'm going to change up a bit. So I started getting into film, production, you know, working on brick, doing cameras, stuff like that. But in the meantime, I still, I'm still i still a photographer. So, recently I got some, uh, dis- dis- decided to start shooting street photography. So walking around my neighborhood with uh, looking at people. And what's great about that is that, because I'm not having to use it for money, it's like I don't really have to care what I'm taking pictures of. I can photograph anything I want, um, it's not necessarily going to generate money, but it's becoming more satisfying. So I'm walking around taking pictures of people in my neighborhood, same streets, same same. I sometimes take pictures of the same people, and I am finding that way more fulfilling than uh, I've ever done with commercial photography. Commercial photography was great because I get money, and but money wasn't everything. Even though it's a lot right now, um, to go now and take a picture of people on the street. Um, just doing what they're doing, I look at the pictures and I'm, I am like, I feel like I'm a student again, like I'm back in school and not learning. Well, maybe I am learning, but I feel that I am, you know, midlife crisis starting starting anew, something new, and something that's meaningful because I show these pictures to people and they affect people. My commercial photography was just to sell products and stuff like that. These pictures I take of people, people can resonate with, and so I'm getting such a response from the shots of people that I'm taking that, you know, I am more fulfilled now as a photographer than I think I have been since maybe when I first picked up my camera when I was a teenager. Um, It's that same kind of, like, act of discovery. And I'm finding this out for myself rather than just sort of falling into it like I did with commercial photography because I happened to work in the same industry that I was shooting. This sort of became organic and just felt like I'm living in this neighborhood now in Brooklyn and Kensington, the most diverse neighborhood in at least it used to be in Brooklyn, like just different ethnic groups and like that. It reminds me of the New York I grew up in. And I go around and I feel like I'm I feel like I'm a kid again. So I'm getting that energy back from being a photographer and doing these things that I haven't done in a long time. So it's reflected in my street photography, it's reflected in my new photography, black and white. I'm having such a good time with it and um, I don't think I'm gonna ever stop doing this. This is gonna be the where I'm going from now on.
3: What am I passionate about? Hmm. I'm passionate about uh, giving a voice f- for people who don't necessarily have a voice in media. So, personally, it would be uh, giving the voice, uh, giving a voice to the Asian American community, um, especially in the arts, because. When I was growing up I didn't really see that so I wanted to get into a career where I was able to help bring that up or give it a spark. So I had opportunity working in uh, community access. Uh, I started as a PA and I decided to uh, freelance and started producing my own segments for the, the, the studio. So I was doing interviews with uh, Asian American hip hop artists, photographers, um, spoken word artists, um, and poets. So that that experience was 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 great to kind of get my feet wet in production. Is there anything else? Was um, I
0: mean, that's that's pretty much it. I mean, it's a little over a minute. Oh no, so let me fine. okay. Well, if
3: yeah, my, you can answer the other one. And then I don't I know. You gotta cut it up or something. Yeah, I can talk. About it okay so what is your current occupation Uh, my current occupation uh, right now is uh, as a freelancer freelance camera operator Um, I also pursue passion projects personal passion projects and um, working on as a DP uh, cinematographer for a web series um, showcasing Asian American uh, talent um, stories about Asian American gangsters so that's what I'm working on right now. What's the other thing? <clears throat> oh no! Oh, what what do you like about your job? And what would your dream hobby be? What do I like about my job? I like that I get to be creative. I get to um, have a hands-on experience in telling a story and molding the story. Um, I worked as a, a cam- AC on independent films and and um and and rea- reality TV and I did I just I just didn't you know like it too much because the fact that I wasn't uh I didn't have a a hands-on uh I guess hands-on uh aspect in in creating the story you know I was just helping out so right now w- when I able to kind of pursue my own passion projects I have that ability I have that luxury to tell the story um, in, in my way visual
4: do I think we are living in a hopeless or hopeful world my perspective of today's world is not is uh, is a 5050 I think what makes this world quite hopeless is our um, where a certain part of society is so against change for the better, which makes, them, makes certain people comfortable repeating things that we're trying to either overcome or eliminate. Uh, I think what makes this world very hopeful is knowing that people who are just as enthused about their passions and um, for change are working as hard as they can to produce those changes um in this industry we're in in the film entertainment industry that we're in there are so many people that are used to certain type of ways of producing and um showcasing a certain um message and um i'm grateful to come across certain people um particularly women who are so not what we grew up seeing on television um, one of my passions um, with that is to be able to change the, the thought, the the, the perspective of women in in this industry. We're not just um, Barbies. We're not just um, tools or eye candy um, for the media eye. There are so many of us that are writing and producing and directing that you don't see, that you don't hear or, or talk about. And knowing that those w- women exist, and I'm not just talking about the epitome of them all, Oprah. Um, I'm talking about those um, others that she opened doors for. Um, Many, many of them um, exist, and yet coming across their projects and and seeing these women in the light that they deserve to be in, it inspires me to keep doing what I'm doing because I want their careers as well. I want to be that name that someone um, speaks of. Um, As I do of them, you know, I do want to see women be able to run a network without (laughs) without assuming um, less of her and, and just be praised for her capabilities because there are a lot of us that are doing it and doing it Well, very well, and it's not even being acknowledged for it That's one of my I think that's my main passion is to know that Billy, as soon as I walk into uh, a room, Billy Martin is not assumed to be a guy, and there's no hesitation realizing that I am a woman that knows just as, you know, those that knows what she's doing as the next guy, more than anything. That's what I'm really, mainly passionate about. And also, just, you know, being a great role model for my nieces and nephews, they're, they're their opinion of me means so much, so much. I I want them to be able to say my auntie is my hero, not just my auntie. So, but it also helps feeding them cookies all, for breakfast. <laughs> so <laughs> so and that that helps. I, I I just this world is so helpful when you know you have a certain passion. That's not just to you know, you know not not just for you to be able to fulfill your dreams, but to know that. People are watching you and are looking, looking up to you and want to see you as someone that they want to be in that positive light. You know, I'm glad that I'm looking at a generation where um, kids, are, kids just don't want to grow up and be the next popular rapper or the next most famous basketball player. But they also, want, I'm, I'm seeing generations that my nephew, for example, um Delani, he wants to be a cop. When he grows up and when he says he's seven years old and for him to say that that warms my heart because you know he's not of an element that's that's expected unfortunately but that's what he wants to be when he grows up he wants to be a a new york police officer and that oh that 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 makes me you know so proud and his reasons why are his reasons why but i'm glad that i'm i'm witnessing a generation that are not um that are, that are so against the stereotypical, and it's not of what's expected. Not all of them, Lord Jesus, but there's some, there are some that are just impressing the heck out of me, and I'm glad to be witnessing it.
5: So one of the happiest moments of my life came unexpectedly one Saturday afternoon when I was watching a Bulls game. And I was just flipping through and saw a young Bulls player, Joaquim Noah, make a three point shot. And they cut to his dad, who was in the stands. His father was like the number three tennis player in the world at one point, Yannick Noah. And he was so proud of his son, and it was just like beaming. Every part of him was glowing, looking at his boy as he just scored the three-pointer. And in that moment, I realized that the way that his dad was looking at him after this accomplishment was the same way that my dad looks at me when I just come in the door, doing nothing, just walking around. And that really filled me with this great sense of happiness that I have such a deep reservoir of love to draw from. And my dad and I don't always see the eye and eye, and we don't even always connect as much as both of us would like to, but just looking at that man, look at his son that way, and being able to recognize that look of love because it had been given to me so many times, whether I earned it or not, just made me happy.
6: My journey, I mean, I guess I've always been writing um, it wasn't going to be a career at first. My family are immigrants and they're like, no, 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 that doesn't make money. Math, engineering, that makes money. So I did that for a long, long time. Most of my academic career was in math and science. And then one day I just decided I don't want to do it anymore and started to look into the humanities and went to a graduate program. For writing, and now I'm here and making it work.
0: Where's the rest of the story? <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> what
6: do you need to know?
0: You weren't gonna say the end because it's just like the
6: you ends. Didn't,
0: you didn't say a word. Um. <laughs> no, I mean, well, let's let's. How about we answer one of the questions, shall we? Okay. <laughs> let's try. Answer one of the questions.
6: Um, what am I passionate about? I am. Passionate mostly um, in terms of my writing life. Let's just pick an aspect. Um, Trying to create a platform for writers of color, mostly blacks and Latinos. I'm sure there are other people I could be reaching, but that's my main focus. I was raised in Bed-Stuy, and so that's the people that I grew up with, well, back then was the people that I grew up with, and that's my target audience. That's, um, those are the writers I try to reach, and those are the ones that I try to help. Um, I just try to create a safe space for them to share their work, whether it's poetry, whether it's short stories. Um, I try to make myself a resource to them. I put these events on so they can showcase their work and read it aloud and get um, maybe a new fan or two or gauge audience reception of their work. I am also an editor and so if they have work and they can hire me and I can help them make it better, I offer workshops where they can hone their craft. I've gone through an MFA program and so They can come and have a workshop with me, and it won't cost them the $40,000 that I had to borrow (laughs) to go to a graduate program. They can do it at a very reasonable price um, with me. What else? Uh, So I'm very passionate about getting as many people um, at a good standard with their work, because I... You know, you see all these books out here that people sell like along Fulton Street, and you can pick up any of them. And it's riddled with typos, and the covers look like crap. And you just, you know, you, I want them to be taken seriously. And I'm sure that beneath all of that, there's a good story that could have been told a lot better had they had the tools to make it better. Had they had somebody who cared enough to say, okay, this is an interesting story, but you wrote it really terribly, and you packaged it even worse, and you're not marketing it the best that you can. And that's where I try to step in. Um, A while ago, I send out a newsletter every month, and there was a woman on my mailing list, an older white woman, she was maybe in her 70s, and she took offense that I put out a call to writers specifically looking for blacks and Latinos. Um, for a Black History Month event, and she wrote me back this long diatribe of how she grew up during the whole civil rights thing, and she has something to say, and I'm like, I'm sure you do, and every other event that I have is open to anyone, but for this particular event, I'm looking for specifically, you know, blacks and Latinos. And she really, really said, I don't believe really, you know what you're doing. You're just making it worse. You're separating us. And I'm like, clearly you don't get it. And this is why I do what I do, because you want to insert yourself in our narrative. And maybe it's not about you this time. So when I try to do stuff for writers of color, it's because sometimes it's not about them. It's about us. And we need to have a place to do that. I couldn't find it, so I just decided to make
0: it. Um, anything else? Now, keep in mind, I'm, it's, yeah. it's a minute long, yeah, so let's not get know. too excited with, you know, this is not an Oprah special, you know, <sighs> you know so. Uh, <laughs> it's not, let me call my
4: publicist
6: because this is not what I was told.
0: <laughs> I did not sign up for this. uh uh-uh, my phone? Because <laughs> you need to fix this right now.
6: <laughs> I always joke, um, <laughs> do you know a blogger, she used to go by Smarty, um, Smarty Jones, something like that.
0: The name something like
6: that, yes. Well, she, she and I actually became really good friends. You know, we all became good friends off of yeah, blogging. Of and I always joke that when I have my actual offices, my jaded empire media <laughs> offices, um, I'm going to have a male assistant. I don't want a female assistant. I want a male yes. assistant. And I don't care what his name is, I'm going to call him Stuff. <laughs> and this is going to be in the contract, so he can't <laughs> sue me for sexual harassment. So... <laughs> Whenever she and I are talking, and she says something I do like, I'm like, "Stuff, get security." <laughs> <laughs> so I just want to be like, "Stuff, get my puppuses on the phone." <laughs>
2: stuff,
6: why? Is that wrong? I'm gonna get sued. All right. You know what's funny?
0: Because I freaking just read an article about how stuff should be like one of the words you should eliminate from your vocabulary.
6: No. Well, that's nice According name. to according to this article. Well, that article was stupid because that's oh, my. <laughs> this article stupid.
0: How can <laughs> I eliminate stuff when stuff is my.
6: <laughs> that poor guy is trying to make it in the media world. Oh, <laughs> He's got to deal with me as a boss. Well,
0: thank goodness I'm not stuff. <laughs> 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 because I don't think stuff will be having a great life. So, uh,
7: my name is Richard Burroughs, aka Dick Burroughs, aka DJ Dick at Night. Um One of the uh sort of most interesting stories that comes to mind uh, pretty quickly is as a writer um, I was about halfway through writing a novel and you know just living in New York and you know it's very busy and you know hustle and bustle and you got to do a bunch of things just to sort of exist and um I was just not finding the Sort of mind space to finish it. So I gave myself a 30 day deadline, um, but within that 30 days, I still had to live, I, you know, had to do things and work and, you know, do all the things you do in New York. So what I did was I uh, went to this place on Houston Street in, in Manhattan called Aroma, um, and they were 24 hours. So what I would do, I would like get off work from DJing, and every night for 30 days, Every night and every day, whenever I had time, I would go to Aroma and write. The place had just opened up, they didn't really know uh, too much about the neighborhood, but after, like, within the 30-day time frame, they kept seeing this guy come in, and I would just take meetings there, but I would be there to literally from th- sometimes 3 in the morning to, like, 8, nine, ten in the morning, um, kind of talking to myself, like talking through uh, dialogue with, with, with characters in my book, and um, I was kind of completely worn out. I had drank way, like, Bill Murray levels of coffee, from coffee to cigarette. Um, and uh, it was kind of stressful. I started getting, like, pimples. Um, but eventually, uh, I finished. And it was like, right, you know, and then I sent it off to- Eventually, um, I finished it and sent it off to my editor to edit, but it was the super most fulfilling moment um, because, you know, I literally was kind of not clear on how I was going to be able to finish it because I was thinking that maybe I was going to have to go away, up to the Catskills or up to Woodstock, um, but I found a, a space in my mind that wasn't literally physically a rem- a secluded space. I, cr- I carved out a space in the middle of Manhattan in which I could actually find some mind space to finish it. So for 30 days, I slept very little, but I finished the novel. And that was a, a really special experience in my life.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Minutes Heard. Make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast and follow or subscribe to Minute Maid New York on Facebook, Instagram, and on YouTube. Do you have a minute?